0: context podcast is proudly sponsored by delta wines and brick and mortar our everyday go-to with sustainability built in delta wines are vibrant yet balanced made to be enjoyed on special occasions brick and mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the european wine drinkers california wine the wines are small lot single vineyard sourced from napa sonoma county and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental non-profit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. And you'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. discount code contacts at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab and go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited time flavor this November. Element milk chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element Sample Pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T dot com slash contacts.
1: you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared
0: foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out.
1: Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance. Welcome back to Contacts. We are joined this evening by John Burke, head women's water polo coach at Stevenson School and former coach of the year in the state of California. John, thanks for being here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Been looking forward to this one for a while. So, if you don't mind, if you could take us through your background as a coach, how'd you end up coaching to begin with? And what was the process like for you landing your first? Head job, assistant job, how that journey's progressed
2: over the years to where you are now. So I started coaching in the late 90s as a student athlete at UC Davis and just became real interested in it. I was on the men's team up there, and during the summer, we would run summer camps, and there was also a club. Basically I was asked by the men's coach at the time, whether I wanted to get involved and I enthusiastically took him up on that. So at the young age of uh, 20, I was uh, already pretty involved in terms of USA water polo coaching. And soon after that, continuing with USA water polo, I became what's called uh, zone coaches, which is essentially you're in charge of an all-star team. And so I oversaw 14-and-under and under and 16 and under boys for Central California. I was the head coach of that group and this was still while I was a, a student athlete at UC Davis. I was the men's captain actually at UCD and following graduation I was given the opportunity to uh, come on full-time as the assistant coach for men's and women's water polo. That was an awesome experience and it really provided the foundation for the next 15 to 20 years of coaching for me. So I was an assistant at UCD from 2002 to 2006, coaching both the men's and the women's. Did uh, four seasons with the men and five seasons with the women and uh, had the opportunity to serve as tournament director for a number of national level tournaments. We hosted NCAAs my final spring that I was there with the women. Really exciting, won a couple conference championships while I was there, had the opportunity to coach some All-Americans. It was pretty special and, and pretty unique. And all the while, I was still involved with the Davis Water Polo Club and continuing to coach USA Water Polo Zone teams. I was the development coach of the year in 2006 for the Central California Zone as well. Basically, it's the top honor for um, working with 14 and under athletes. After UC Davis, I came down to Palo Alto area, took a job as the head coach of the women's program at Sacred Heart Prep in Atherton and inherited a very talented group of young women. And so the challenge became coming in as a first year coach, getting them to gel, getting them to trust you and believe in you when they've had a pretty long stretch of the prior coach had been there for a number of years. Making that adjustment successfully was was able to accomplish that, but it was not without its bumps in the road. I spent 12 years as the head coach at Sacred Heart, and bookends here. My first season, we made it to the CCS Finals, losing in overtime to Menlo. And my last season, we lost in the CCS Finals, losing to Leland. Between those two bookends, we won 10 CCS championships in a row so from uh, fall of 2007 through the fall of 2016 we were fortunate enough to win the last game of the season each year and that was um, actually unprecedented for girls water polo in the state of California it uh, remains as on the girls side the most consecutive CIF titles in a row at Sacred Heart Prep. I was continuing to coach club extensively with Stanford water polo, both on the men's and the women's side, had a lot of, gained a lot of experience at junior Olympics and had some other opportunities as well. I was the head or co-head coach of the USA Maccabi team, took that group down to Argentina and Buenos Aires for the uh, Pan-American Maccabi Games, traveled internationally with teams to Hungary, Spain, and Canada. So just had some really awesome and very unique opportunities, really. And during that time, coached 16 All-Americans and 25 girls went on to play at the NCAA level, both Division I and Division Three. In 2017, I was recognized as the California State Coach of the Year for Girls Water Polo as well as the NorCal Head Coach of the Year for Girls Water Polo. And along the way, picked up an Honor Coach Award as well, which was pretty special and meant a lot to be recognized by my peers um, and administrators for my work with with young women in Girls Water Polo in particular. So then in, in 2018, kind of seeking a bit of a professional opportunity, I moved down to the Monterey area and invested more fully in my kind of nine to five career. I was the director of college counseling at York School in Monterey. And uh, shortly after my time there, I had the opportunity to come over to Stevenson and I knew it was going to be something that I couldn't pass up. And 2019, I was actually assistant at Stevenson. 2020 rolled around, COVID hit, I became the head coach. Very unique to be in your first year as a head coach and have to deal with a pandemic. But we stumbled through that with a kind of online coaching, essentially. And then in 2021, we were ready to roll and we were back in the water and had a a really successful year. Really culminated with our opportunity to play in the open division and playing in the open division against large schools. And coming from Monterey County, that's not something that is lost on me. That was really um, an honor. And I think we were on the border with being a Division II school and much, I think, in our opinion, to be recognized as an open level team and to go in there and really play hard and compete, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. So that's a little bit about my background.
1: Love it. Thank you for that. That gives us a lot of information to work from. And I want to go back to something that you said that in 2006, you became the head coach at Sacred Heart Prep. And this is after years of being an assistant men's and women's coach and a ton of club experience. But now you're moving over uh, what we call 18 inches to the right or left. Can you talk A little bit about what that shift was like. I've been prepared. I've had great mentors. I know how to do this. And all of a sudden now you're the head coach. You're replacing someone who's been there a long time. The podcast started as a way to help mentor coaches that are making these moves. They're either in the job for the first time or they're reflecting on things they can do later. So what are some of the things that you realized you still needed to figure out when you became a head coach?
2: Yeah. So as an assistant, even at the collegiate level, you're fairly insulated from the, the responsibilities and the roles of a head coach. When I arrived fresh off my experience at UC Davis on the Sacred Heart Prep campus, the first thing that you know I learned pretty quickly was that I had to establish solid relationships with, with the kids. And like I mentioned, I had to get not only the kids to trust in me, but actually also the parents to trust in me. So, you know, some of the kind of things that I realized there as a head coach early on, there was a lot of expectations. There was a lot of pressure and I did my best to not get too wrapped up in that. The the team the year before I arrived had actually lost in kind of an upset loss in the CCS semis despite being the number one team, the number one seed. And so I was also inheriting a group that was really hungry to get back into what they hoped would be the CCS finals. And that goal came relatively easy for them. When we sat down early in the season and mapped out what our goals were for the kind of our outcome goals, the girls came up with that. And, And so I realized there that it was just a matter of trying to be the driver. That team was particularly because it had Four girls that went on to play Division I water polo, two at Stanford, one at UCLA, and one at San Jose State. One of them actually went on to become an Olympian and a gold medalist in 2016, KK Clark. And Adriana Vote went on to set the record for freshman goals scored in the MPSF, which is the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation, the Mm -hmm. top conference for women's water polo in the country. Trust was important, focus and goal setting was important, having fun was important. I wanted them to know that I was also a coach that believed in enjoying the ride and not always taking ourselves super seriously. And the other thing was I was able to establish a lot of that in the summer. I I got to Sacred Heart in May, and I had a couple months of summertime to really acclimate to the culture and get to know the kids pretty well. And so by the time we're kicking things off in August, we're already pretty comfortable with each other at that point in time. And I would say that was a huge benefit because when preseason opened up, we already were pretty familiar with each other. Yeah. Let me pivot
1: here for a second. And obviously what you just said, off-season work, especially in relationship building, especially in team chemistry, super important. And the more times you can do that, whether it be in a pool or not, is just going to help any team. Uh, Be more cohesive, but I want to go back to when you said that you won 10 straight CIF titles, and I'm gonna ask you a little bit of a weird question here, which pretty sure you're not going to have an easy answer for but we'll see what you say. What do you what opportunities do you think were missed during that time, because of all the winning that was occurring that you didn't really get to dive into because it was somewhat hidden due to the success right because sometimes like the failures are the things where you really realize like oh i need to address this i need to change this are there some things now as you reflect back that not that winning hides your issues but some of the things that you're like wow we had so much success that We didn't have to go through x we didn't take advantage of y what do you have to offer on that don't necessarily see the same run of success and they're trying to figure it out as they go
2: yeah so the big thing with that run that was a negative and and this kind of came from the top down meaning myself it became very transactional right where players became chess pieces if you will and that's part of head coaching is putting people in the right place, but it became more, I think about keeping the streak alive than really ultimately not enough time developing them as young people and leaders and really being hyper-focused on how we're doing how, and ultimately getting to the finals. Ironically, our goal. Was in those 12 years where I was head coach at Sacred Heart, and this goes back to my belief in goal setting, ironically, our goal was never to win a CIF title. We never set that as our long-term outcome goal. Our goal was always to win the semifinal. And that was something that came from my mentor at Sacred Heart Prep, the boys coach, a guy named Brian Kreutzkamp. And I was extremely fortunate to really pair up with him, if you will, and learn a lot from him. And his pedigree was super strong. He was the assistant at Stanford. He won two national titles as the assistant at Stanford. He came from Bill Barnett's program down in Newport. And he really taught that to me, that the goal was peaking for the semifinal. That's really when you want to be at your best. And then the finals, it's just hang on and have fun. And we really did try to do that in the finals. But I would say along the way, that it became my job to actually remove the pressure from the players. that was really what it came down to and so i would constantly if we took a loss regular season remind them for example hey this is all part of learning this is how we're going to be better two months from now because kids especially high school they can really get wrapped up by a regular season loss particularly maybe if it's to a rival or something like that so part of my job became getting them to understand that even through losses especially in the regular season Cause it was amazing. We, we never lost in the playoffs. We were like 54 and 0 in the CCS playoffs or something like mm-hmm. that. Or 27 and 0 or I can't remember exactly right. teaching kids that the outcome goal is ultimately where we want to be. And I'd always put it on a dry erase board. This graph where you start in one corner of the graph, you've got a horizontal axis and a vertical axis, and you start in the corner. And as you're drawing an upward trend, you're going up and down. Right. And explaining to these kids, like, listen, we're going to have those downs we're going to have those moments, but let's look at the overall trend here in terms of where we're going to be And back to what I was originally saying, I, I think when I look back on my years there and I was a young coach, I was there from the age of 25 to 35. It did become a little bit too transactional at times where it was just about having a great practice, game prep video, everything related to water polo. And very little in terms of team building, very little in terms of leadership development. And that wasn't necessarily every year, but there were definitely some years where that became the norm. And if I could go back and do it again, I would change that. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So I want to pull at that thread a little bit, and I want to take this opportunity to jump to the modern, the present day. So people that aren't aware that may be tuning in from out of the central coast area. Stevenson as a boarding school campus and Sacred Heart Prep as a day school, similar in some ways, very different in others. But as you shifted and you now became a head coach somewhere else and you had to adjust both your physical location, but also your mental location in regards to who you're dealing with, what's the culture like. Talk about that for a moment and the things that you were able to bring with you first as an assistant and then when you took over and the things that you realized. to your point, you know what, I don't need these anymore. This is yeah. going to serve better.
2: Well, I'd say one of the first things was adjusting to the cultural shift. And so at Stevenson, there's more emphasis on, I think, a joyful life more than anything else and balance. And I think one of the responsibilities I have and possibly one of the positive characteristics of my coaching style is that I am able to successfully adjust. And some of that came from my, you know, pivot from assistant coaching at Davis into Sacred Heart, but I had multiple opportunities along the way, particularly through like club, right. Or Olympic development program stuff where I was inheriting new teams. So I had a lot of practice along the way of moving into different head coaching roles, but Stevenson is really the first place I've been where not only is it boarding. But you have kids playing multiple sports. My time at Sacred Heart, these were aquatic athletes. And the only other thing they did on the land was lift weights. But the rest of the time they're swimming and playing water polo. And really stepping back and now realizing I have that opportunity to not be as transactional and to really invest in the kids and in their experience. And making sure that from your top player down to your 25th player, everybody's entitled to having a positive experience. Everybody's entitled to getting something out of it and learning things along the way. So, for example, the goal setting that I started to do at Sacred Heart and and carried through my 12 years there, we did the exact same goal setting at Stevenson, but adjusted, right, to the new environment. But still... Going through and setting outcome goals and setting performance goals, because my experience as a coach has been that is one of the most important things you can do, but it takes time to adjust to a culture for sure. Let me ask
1: this, and then I'm going to come back to the goal setting and and I want to come back to some of the leadership things that you talked about, but I want to do this before I forget, because I think a lot of coaches have had their feet in other spaces be at college be a club they're not all groomed high school coaches so what would you say was the biggest shift coming from college to high school both back at Sacred Heart and then even as you shifted to Stevenson here that you could offer as beware of this moment for people that are listening who have college background and are now just getting into high school and And how different that can be. What are like maybe two or three things you could just point out and be like, hey, at the college level, this is important. At the high school level, this is important, or however you want to frame the question?
2: Yeah, great question. So, the big difference, or one of the largest differences, is that at the college level, everybody's there, right, to play water polo. And all the, every athlete, both on the men's and the women's side, were coming out of highly successful programs, particularly on the high school level. There were, particular schools we would go back to multiple times in terms of recruiting. When you're coaching at Division One, really any college level for that matter, your roster is full of kids, uh, young adults really, or adults at that, that are all there really for the same reason. And so one of the main shifts to high school, both to Sacred Heart and in particular to Stevenson, is realizing that everybody's there for a different reason. And one of our jobs as head coaches is to get them to buy in to the same reason, to really focus on we don't all have to be best friends, but we have to agree that we're here for these specific reasons or goals, and getting them to put aside their differences to embrace that. So I would say one of the biggest changes at the high school level is you're going to have kids that this is not their top priority, Mm -hmm. right? Where maybe another sport is their top priority or academics are their top priority, or family having to take care of a sibling is their top priority, or working is their top priority. And going back to what I said earlier, you still have to approach it with the idea that no matter how they're presenting, each kid is entitled to the same positive experience. And I think that is paramount. From the top down, yeah, you're going to coach up those top-level players. You're going to put them in positions to help you win games. But you got to connect with your bench players just as much. The other thing I would mention is parents, Mm -hmm. right? I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up. But at the high school level, you've got parents. And sometimes you have parents that... Don't respect boundaries. That is not the case at the college level, at least in my experience when I was an athlete at the college level, as well as a coach. Mm -hmm. So learning how to manage parents, learning how to communicate with parents, keeping them Involved, but still at arm length distance. You still want them to buy into the program. You want them to show up and cheer for your teams. You want them to have tacos after the game, all those things. But that is also a a very large adjustment. And I've seen coaches get into trouble when they don't realize that the parents come along as well. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to become buddy, but it does mean that you have to realize that's an important part of your job.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point because at the college level, obviously you're dealing with adults, right? And you can theoretically just give people to Heisman and be like, hey, you know what? I'm dealing with an adult. Like we're adults, this is what we're doing. But at the high school, even at the the, the club scene, all that stuff, it's like the, the, the parents have to get their kids there. The parents are the ones making this possible. And like, how do you navigate those relationships making sure you keep the athlete at the center of the equation, which sometimes I think gets lost. And that's, you know, what I would offer to your point is, Hey coaches, you got to be able to figure out the athlete's experience is what's most important. And how do you work in partnership with the parents to make sure that happens? I want to go. And I keep saying, we're going to get this goal setting, but there are things that you're saying that, that I want to touch on here. So you bring up parents, how did becoming a parent yourself, Change your approach to coaching.
2: (laughs) Well, right now my kids are starting to play sports too. It it, it's, uh, I don't, (laughs) excuse me. I don't want to say necessarily it, it softened me up a little bit, but I think that it just gave me a different perspective, right? On the fact that at the high school level, these are still kids and they're impressionable, they remember what you say right? They can personalize things. There's more of a tendency to personalize things. But I would also say that it made me take the role of a head coach and see it more as a teacher than, you know, again, going, I talked about this transactional nature of it. And having kids that are starting to play sports, that's ultimately what I want out of their coaches. I want somebody who is going to teach right? And is going to be supportive. So that's something that I've adjusted to as I've gotten older is really viewing, in my case, the pool as my classroom and it being an area where I almost lead them as you would lead a math class or a a history class in terms of game planning and in terms of planning out your practices. And our final and water polo is a little bit different, but in many ways, a history teacher wants to prep their kids for the final and we're prepping our kids for a championship, but there's a lot of parallels.
1: No, 100%. And that I think will allow us to segue back into the goal setting conversation, because I think what we say here at Stevenson a lot is we use athletics as an opportunity to teach leadership, teach followership, and to learn to be part of something bigger than yourself. I think being able to see the forest for the trees there, especially now as a parent of your own children who are playing sports... And listening to some of the things they say, you have young ones, I've got older ones, but it doesn't like me. And it's, I don't think that's accurate, but something that they may have said or done makes the kid feel that way. And so how do you be alert to those moments? How do you continue to build relationship to make sure that those kids know you believe in them, know that you, you care about them. And I think that's a great shift for people to be aware of as you navigate
2: this. So, well, can I add one thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. The other thing is that I'll say, I'll apologize to a kid. I will bring them into my office and say, sorry, if I've crossed a boundary in Mm -hmm. terms of maybe being too harsh or raising my voice, or at times I, I can get pretty fired up and even yell during a match, never in a manner that's really personal, but at times it can be too intense and sometimes it's directed right at a player. And so there have been times in my career where I have brought a kid in and say, hey, I just want you to know that I'm aware that I may have crossed a line. And that reestablishes trust. Mm -hmm. And I think it also is a lesson for them in terms of sometimes adults need to fess up to their mistakes as well. So that was just something you made me think of.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to ask another question there, but that's going to take us down another rabbit hole. So okay. I'm going to pass pause on that. Let's go really quickly over goal setting here. Yeah, because you, you keep coming back to it. So talk about that as an offering to other coaches about the utilitarianism of goal setting, but also steps that you would engage in so maybe they can take that away and utilize it on their own.
2: So there's a book I was introduced to by a exercise biology professor at UC Davis. It's a book called The Art of Coaching. And the author is a guy named Jim Hinkson. And Jim was actually a lacrosse coach from the Northeast. I don't remember the the high school, but he's a high school coach. And in this book, The Art of Coaching, two chapters in particular that I read every single year that I was a high school head coach. So 12 years in a row, I would always start my season, even before the kids showed up by reading these two chapters in the art of coaching. I've done the same thing at Stevenson. Mm -hmm. The first chapter is on goal setting. The second chapter is on uh, performance in a championship match and how to get kids to be at their best when it matters the most. And I'm happy to talk about both of those, but I'll talk about the goal setting first so in the goal setting there's a number of different goals um one of them is outcome goals i'll I'll get back to that in a second one of them is performance goals but there's also goals in terms of team behavior and getting teams to actually come up with those behavior guidelines and it's a really i haven't been able to do that every year but the years that i've done it it's been very effective in terms of them policing themselves And we even broke it up into rules in the locker room, rules when you're traveling, practice rules, game rules, and really like defining these things. But really uh, the outcome and the performance goals are where I fell in love with this material to be perfectly honest. So the way that you differentiate outcome goals versus performance goals is really short-term goals versus long-term goals. The outcome goals being long-term, the performance goals being Mm short-term. The performance goals are really centered around statistics. And each sport is going to be different. But what that allows you to do is it allows you to really, in an objective manner, it allows you to really dissect each and talk about your shooting percentage, talk about your six on five percentage, talk talk about your five on six percentage, talk about how many assists or steals you have, right? And then what you do with those performance goals is you can match them up against whatever your actual goals are in terms of statistics. And you can say, hey, like... Our goal was to go 35% on six on five. We were at 17% that game and we lost by two. So it allows you to really distill down, right, a a game without it being abstract, like we didn't play well or we played well. And so the performance goals, at least in my experience, have always been on a a game by not, not only a game to game kind of format, but also breaking the season up into like quarters. So we would set performance goals for the first six games of the season. We would set performance goals for games seven through 12. Performance goals for 13 through 18 and 18 through 24. So quarterly, you're also tracking, like, where are we? And then each quarter, readjusting those performance. So that's where performance goals come in. And each sport's going to be different, right, in terms of how they track that. But outcome goals are, I think, really where, and these are long-term goals, right, where you are defining what you want out of the season. And again, I had to be very involved in performance goals because players don't always see the details that a head coach wants a team to really pursue or keep track of. And so I would play a very large role in defining performance goals, but outcome goals, I facilitate the discussion. I provide some information and then really let them have a discussion about what they want. And for example, at Sacred Heart, and I'll talk about Stevenson in a second, but at Sacred Heart. Typically, like our goal was, you know, to win league, right, to play in the CCS finals and to finish and to qualify for NorCal's, basically. And, and Stevenson, it was to win league and play in the Division Two finals. Now we ended up, you know, getting moved up to the Open Division. So that was a curveball. And actually, I had to really dive into that because that curveball really surprised a lot of the kids, a lot of the girls. Cause they were expecting a nice run through D2 and all of a sudden we're the eight seed coming up against the number one seed in the open division. But one thing I want to say about outcome goals is you define them and then you put them away. Mm-hmm. You don't come back to them over the entire course of the season, mm-hmm. because if I come back to them, I create unneeded pressure on the kids. The kids know what they are. The parents know what they are. The media might even know what they are if they're following our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a head coach, we'll talk about it at the beginning of the season. And then you won't even hear me bring it up until we're already going into the postseason. It's like the seating meeting. Yeah. And that helps kids, in my opinion, and athletes to, and get them to, and while you're getting them to follow these performance goals, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. And even in those playoff games, we're still talking about performance goals. Mm-hmm. Because if I say we need to win the CCS semi. Guess what? We're probably not going to win. It. That's just that. That's a, that, that. Part of that is, you know, superstition. But and I will tell you, just my opinion. We had a writer from the, I think, the Mercury News, San Jose Mercury News, say, well, "You guys have managed to be at your best somehow every time in the CCS finals. And and how do you do that? And it, to me, it really boils down to performance goals and outcome goals. Sure, part of that is like." getting the horses, getting the athletes, no doubt about it, and putting them in the right spots. But you've got to get kids to think about single games. You've got to get them to rebound from a loss and not put pressure on them for how they're going to fare come postseason. So that's a little bit about goal setting.
1: I think a great takeaway from that, in addition to the way in which you structure that and then the reference of this book, The Art of Coaching, is just this idea of being present. Right in the moment, and focusing on that, and being about process and letting that dictate outcome. And I think the way you said it describes it almost in minute detail about how you can set these not just game goals. You could break down to quarter goals within the game into the season. Right? And that my predecessor here, my buddy Matt, he would do that before every game. It's we want to get, we want to hold them to eight points a quarter. We want to yeah, get this sure. many X's, and it's just like it's not how I'm wired, but it was
2: something that they could hang their hat on. So yeah, it keeps them in the moment for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think how do we teach kids, but also coaches for that matter, like focus on the process of showing up every day and just trying to get a little bit better and the outcomes will take care of themselves. And the more that we can embrace that anxiety level slows down. We see it in our kids. I got a kid in the dorm. He's worried about his job after college and and he's not even graduated from high school. It's yo, (laughs) like enjoy the sunshine. So I think that's a great thing to point out for people to help them break things down so that they're digestible, but also to keep them focused on the right things. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I'm going to throw you a curveball here, okay? because hell, why not? Yeah. We know each other well. What is something that you think you did well this year based on your years of coaching, but it was like this year with everything that was happening, COVID, we haven't played in a year, et cetera. I think I was able to do this pretty well upon self-reflection. Well, I, that you would you, like you, to do again next year.
2: Yeah, I, I, one of the highlights, I think, just in terms of doing something well, I, I do think is getting the girls to pivot from really thinking about a division two run, because we had a good season, we had a good team and we had some great athletes. And our outcome goal was to make a strong run in the division two finals. And then to find out, Hey, we're brought into the open division that required a very intentional and just careful conversation with them to maintain their focus and to get them fired up and to get them to think that we can go out and accomplish something still. And we knew that may not mean winning, but we knew that we can play with effort. We knew that we could be resilient. We knew that we could respond if they went on a run. So I would say that is a highlight. I would also say we play in our league and then we've got these high-level tournaments. And some of the scores from the league were pretty, um, you know... um, The margin was very big. Yes, exactly. I was looking for the right words. The margin was very big. And then we'd have to go and play St. Francis Mountain View or we'd have to go and play... Los Gatos or Menlo and so keeping the even during those league matches where the the margin was very big keeping the kids focused keeping them thinking about performance goals really setting that stage as this is still preparation for when we play these higher caliber teams that was also I would say one of the highlights of the year I think we did that the other thing I'd say we did well was we, despite coming off a COVID year, we were able to get the girls in pretty good shape and we were able to get them well-conditioned and we were able to get tough. Their toughness really stood out. And a lot of that came through the season by embracing the idea of, let's go play some stiff competition so that we can get better, so that we can get stronger. So I think those are the three things that kind of stand out to me. Love that you went with three because- All of that was a setup for this as a veteran
1: coach who has achieved a lot of success and can probably be a little bit more secure in your answer to this than most other coaches. What did you fail at this year? What is an area of growth that you're like, what? That was really important
2: and I'm never doing that again. So... It actually goes back to not so much something I did, but something I didn't do. And I could probably think of something I did too, but something I didn't do. My experience, the the mentors I've had, you know, have all been, each program I've gone into or been a part of uh, up until now, actually really hasn't spent a tremendous amount of time on character development and leadership. Mm -hmm. And so for me... Without that strong a background, that has been a difficult adjustment because as I've become a more experienced coach and as I've gotten older, to be quite honest, the bar for performance and the importance of leadership, character development, and maybe connection right, with each other has come to like the same level. And I think in time, the importance of leadership and connectiveness and character development, I think in time is going to surpass what we want from a performance standpoint and i think there's a balance there Mm -hmm. but i would say this year i'm still not where i want to be in in terms of ultimately being able to spend the time to dive into that area because it takes a lot of time so there's the challenge right for all
1: of us it's what are you willing to sacrifice to make that happen is being in the water this many minutes really worth what you could get doing this. And I don't know the answer, John. We're just yeah. throwing this around for people listening because I think you're right. We want to do X, but we don't want to sacrifice Y. And I think for me, selfishly, this season has been such an exercise in stay positive and optimistic because games are getting canceled left and right. We're we're not having practices, whatever. And it's, who cares? Like, <laughs> we're happy to be playing. And so it's like, how do you keep that attitude when things normalize and not get sucked back into the vacuum of this outcome is the most important thing? No, like the most important thing is making sure that we set these kids up to be independent adults and to make decisions and to be great friends, be great mentors to others. And I think through those experiences, you're doing that. It just might not be as intentional as you want. And so I think I love that answer. I love the fact that you're willing to to get in the weeds there a little bit and pick on yourself. And thank you for sharing that. I want to do one more thing here before we wrap up. You mentioned that coming here was a little bit of a shift and actually your club experience probably lends itself to this as well, because you usually deal with the younger club kids. It sounds like. Yeah. What can you identify? And this is again, me with my soapbox that these multi-sport athletes bring to the table that I don't want to say this in a negative way, but athletes that only do one thing don't, right? And I know like for your years, you've had these aquatics kids, but what are these other kids that you're now seeing in the pool? What are the things that they have that maybe is lacking that some of these other kids could probably do themselves a favor and go out and do some other things once in a while?
2: I think that, you know, I mean, for one, they've been coached by different people and they're coming into our program with, you know, not just additional the knowledge of an additional sport, but more meaningful is going to be how they've been coached in those sports and just gaining experience in a myriad of different ways. I think that there, there are sports that are, are more well-related to water polo, for sure, that there are similarities such as basketball, but to some extent, soccer. Basketball is really the key one. A little bit with lacrosse, just in terms of fast breaks and in terms of the flow of the game back and forth. So certainly, and, and this, is, this was the case at Sacred Heart, and now more the case at Stevenson, where I'd have basketball players that would play all winter long and then they'd come and, and typically they would swim in the spring, but they'd take a nice you know three-month break or three-and-a-half month break in between seasons there, winter and spring. And it does take them a little bit longer to get back in shape because other kids have been swimming, but they will and they do. The other thing that I would mention is when we get athletes from other sports, they they at least my experience, they tend to And I'll ask them this, they tend to look for ways to use their, in our case, it's land sports, but to really transfer those skills into the water. In particular, I would use like a softball player is going to transfer into water and more than likely have the best shot on the team. The same can be said for baseball players. Right. And I've seen this over and over again, you know, where these kids have a lot of times the most fundamental shooting motion in water polo oftentimes are coming for those sports versus some kid who's learning to shoot the ball. And the only place they've learned to do it is the water. It's a very difficult thing to teach. I think
1: it's important to note, right? Cause I don't want to bash on like single sport athletes. I don't think that's fair. And I know that being in the water for these aquatics kids it's a completely different medium than being on the land. So it's not like you play football, you play basketball, you play baseball. It's You're in a whole, like you're no longer in the air. So it's that's a whole different beast. But I do think What I want to highlight, especially in this age of sports specialization, that there is more of a benefit than a drawback to doing other things. And I think we've lost that in the last 30 years. And I think as a club guy, as a guy that's had great success, uh, we've had these conversations off the recording and just in passing. It's I want them to do other things and I try to coach them
2: into doing other things. And sometimes I lose that fight. Right. Well, I, and I would say in particular, you just have to give the kids choices and options mm-hmm. where they don't feel the pressure to just stick with, <coughs> with one sport right. and if ultimately they, you know, choose to, you know, stay in the water. As an example, given my background, Hey, great. I also think if a student's feeling pressured, that has the, that can backfire on you, where they're feeling like they're not being supported in what they're interested in doing. Yeah. So I think it's important to give kids options. I I think in particular when they're younger, right? Like I'm coaching 12 and unders and 14 unders. I really like that age group with club. They're playing lacrosse. They're playing basketball. They're playing soccer. They might be playing four or five sports. They're playing flag football. Mm -hmm. And so I think in particular, right at, at that age, that's really important. And I even tell kids we run year round programs and I even tell them, and we run it in a quarterly system for the young kids, for the 12s and the 14s. Take a quarter or two off, go do your thing. And you may lose some kids because of that ultimately, but more power to them. We're also going to gain kids that are really fully committed to swimming a water polo
1: for sure. And I
2: just, I think what I would share with that
1: is I think culturally we often put kids, hell adults in these or situations, you can do this or that. Yeah. And it's how do you embrace the power of and, right? I had a kid that's a water polo player today come in and he's the like, coach. I want to play lacrosse this spring. I don't think I'm going to swim and it's why not? Like you can play lacrosse and you can swim. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk to the coaches. Let's figure it out. And I think kids don't advocate enough for themselves because they don't think it's possible because we've created this culture where it's, you can't ask questions and it's like, no, lock in, ask questions, figure out what you want to do and try to figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, And I think that's exactly. a great thing to share that you mentioned in regards to telling kids to take a quarter off. Let's yeah. figure it out. All right, last question. And then we got to wrap up. We've been going for a long time. You were starting over today. What would you do differently and why? Hmm.
2: That's a good one.
1: <laughs> You're ending with a zinger here elite question asker. And while you're thinking about it, I will just make sure everybody heard the multiple UC Davis references because they obviously churn out great coaches and athletes and anybody that's interested in being
2: one of those. Don't be afraid to visit UC Davis. Yeah, there you go, man. That's a good plug. So if I could do it all again, what would I do different? I think it goes back to the relationships with the players over the years have been seniors that have graduated And I haven't felt a strong connection with them. And so I think that is one of the things I would do differently. I would do more team building activities. I'd take them to the beach. We'd go on hikes. We would barbecue. I think that those experiences can really solidify and have a team gel. When they're spending time with each other outside of the pool. Yeah, it's time well spent. It's valuable. So I think relationships and really nurturing those, more team building activities. I would also say as a younger coach, I was like a fireplug. I, I was pretty animated at times. And if I could do it again, I'd you know, probably enjoy the ride a little bit more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I should have framed the question a little differently, which is what advice do you have for yourself? Because I think the way you do things actually helps you become who you are. So I don't really think any of us would change a whole lot, but it'd be like, Hey, add this too. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, coach, thanks for being here. To appreciate was, was you coming on and bailing me out and uh, looking forward <laughs> to, to getting, uh, getting this thing out there. All good. Thanks, Climo. All right, man. Take it easy. Yeah. We'll see you. This podcast was also brought to you by ttroops.com. As
0: coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November element milk chocolate. I drink element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, element has a special offer for you. Claim your free element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drink element. That's LMNT.com slash contacts.